Satan is behind encouraging disobedience to the Scripture. We excuse our sin, and he helps us do it. We find a way to pervert and twist the Scripture so that we can somehow justify our sinful choices. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Has there ever been a time in your life when you began questioning or doubting God's Word? Was there a point when you began to distrust the promises of God and the sufficiency of Scripture? Hi, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom continues his current series with part eight of Learning to Use God's Armor. Our study today is a warning to be aware of the tactics of Satan. Scripture clearly teaches that Satan tries to destroy your soul. He wants to undermine your faith and sabotage your spiritual life. But be encouraged, believer. Though you cannot stand alone in your resistance to Satan's attack on the Word of God, you can withstand those attacks with the strength of someone else, Jesus Christ the Righteous One. Keep all that in mind, and let's join Tom Pennington now on The Word Unleashed. Liberalism grew out of a preconceived anti-supernatural bias from a group of German theologians in the 1800s and early 1900s. They said, we don't believe God ever intervenes in the world. We don't believe He ever comes and personally interacts. And so whatever's in the Bible that seems supernatural, it's got to be excised. It's got to be cut out or in some way denied. And so they taught that the Bible was kind of like a patchwork quilt, assembled by editors who lived a long time after the events, and they identified these editors by J, E, D, and P, speaking of how they used different names of God. A man named Julius Wellhausen popularized these views. In fact, if you've read much at all, you've come across the Groff-Wellhausen theory of higher criticism. The theory got a lot of press from the editor at that time of the Encyclopedia Britannica. He bought it hook, line, and sinker and began to spread it through that encyclopedia. They started by attacking the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. Listen to how one of their own, Otto Kaiser, explains their view. The picture, familiar to everyone from the biblical narrative, of the Israel which started from the twelve sons of Jacob, miraculously became a numerous nation in Egypt, escaped from servitude under the leadership of Moses, was delivered at the Red Sea, taken into covenant with God at Sinai, and finally, after 40 years wandering, was led by Joshua into the Promised Land, here's the key, is for us no longer part of history. They just removed it from history. It's not history. They said, no, it was written by these editors who lived a long time afterwards, and they embellished the stories, and they added all these supernatural things just to make us feel better about how God intersects with history. That view represents what all liberals have believed since the early 1900s. Oh, there have been modifications, there have been changes in and of various kinds, but that's the basic idea. They deny the first five books were written by Moses. They deny that the contents were truly factual. They deny that they were written when they claimed to be written. 
In fact, in the case of the Pentateuch, some argue that it was written as much as a thousand years after Moses. And what they did to the Pentateuch, they eventually ended up doing to the rest of the Scripture. They denied or questioned every supernatural element. And listen, this was very effective. In the 1920s, okay, 1920s, almost 100 years ago, George Betts completed a survey of 1,500 pastors and 200 seminary students. So it was a wide sampling. The 15th question on his survey was this. Do you believe that the Bible was written by men, chosen and supernaturally endowed by God for that purpose, and by Him given the exact message they were to write? It's a pretty straightforward question, and I think most of us here today would affirm that. But in the 1920s, 43% of the pastors surveyed said no. 91% of the seminary students said no. That is what we call the mainline Protestant denominations. You open up your phone book and you look for all of those large, old denominations that have been around for several hundred years, and if you go to one of those churches, you will find men standing in the pulpits, or women, who believe exactly what I've just explained to you. This is what they embrace. That same trend continues to this day. Luther was right when he said, when you look for the devil, don't forget to look in the pulpit. And if you think this is a long way away, visit any one of those churches in our area who are part of the mainline Protestant denominations and you will find a man or woman who believes exactly what I just explained to you. And it begins to affect our own congregation. There's a family in our church that sent their daughter off to a college that had something Christian in its name, certainly in its heritage, thinking that their daughter would be safe there. And on the first day of Bible class, the professor stood up and said to his entire student population sitting out there in front of him, when you leave for Christmas break, you will question everything you were taught in your churches. There are thousands of men and women like that in churches and seminaries and colleges disguising themselves as Christians. Christ said they are wolves in sheep's clothing. They deny the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture. They deny an exclusive gospel that there's only one way to be saved, and that is through believing in Jesus Christ. They deny a literal six-day creation. They deny that homosexuality is a sin. They deny that the Scripture teaches male leadership in the home and in the church. Listen, if you want to see Satan today, don't look at the drug houses and the prostitution rings. Look in the Bible departments of many Christian schools. Look in the old mainline seminaries and look in their pulpits. This is a brilliant strategy on Satan's part. He denies and he questions the Scripture. And well-meaning people attend those churches, attend those seminaries, attend those colleges, and they hear their faith being constantly undermined, sucked out all the life. Satan attacks the Bible by denying or questioning its truthfulness. He also attacks the Bible, secondly, by questioning the sufficiency of the Bible. 
questioning its sufficiency. This was exactly what was going on at the church in Colossae. Turn back to Colossians, and I don't have the time to take you all the way through chapter 2, but let me just sort of point out some things. What's going on in Colossae is an early form of Gnosticism, a false teaching. The false teachers there apparently taught that you needed to believe in Christ and the Scripture, but they weren't enough. Instead, you needed to add some things. For example, in, verse, in chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, you need to add philosophy. So Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive through this philosophy, an empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to these elementary principles of the world. They're misleading you. You don't need to add that, Paul says. A second thing they thought they needed to add was legalism. In verses 11 through 17, they wanted to bring back in the keeping of the Mosaic law. You still need to do those things, they said. You need to add some mysticism, verses 18 and 19. So you need visions and see angels. You need to add in asceticism, verses 20 to 23. That is the the torturing of the body, the punishment of the body to achieve some spiritual value. And so Paul says in verse 20, why do you submit yourself to these earthly elementary decrees, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, when in reality, verse 23, they look good, they have the appearance of wisdom, but you're talking about self-made religion, and it's of no true value against fleshly indulgence. The bottom line, though, is these false teachers were saying to the believers in Colossae, oh, have Christ, have the Bible. Yes, they're important, but that's not enough. Sometimes Satan's attack on the Bible is not a clear frontal attack. He doesn't deny its truthfulness. Instead, he takes the subtle approach of saying that we should use the Bible. It's a wonderful book. Many helpful things there. But he finds ways to convince Christians that it's not enough, that it's not sufficient. There are so many examples of this in today's Christianity. A couple that jump immediately to my mind. One is what is called integrationism, and that is when there's the teaching that we ought to integrate secular psychology into the teaching of the Bible in order to truly help Christians. The Bible's good, it's helpful, has some good ideas, but it doesn't really give us the full understanding of humanity that secular psychology has given us. And there, there are just so many things there that can be helpful. You're not going to be so simple as just to help somebody from the Bible, are you? No, we need to include these other ideas. Or the charismatic doctrine, which teaches there's ongoing revelation from God, and thereby unintentionally undermining the sufficiency of Scripture. Oh, listen, the Bible's great. We need the Bible, but did you know God will actually speak to you? God will reveal truth directly to you. That undermines the sufficiency of Scripture. It causes believers to look elsewhere, and ultimately that is a tactic of Satan. Or there's the issue of creation and evolution. Oh, the Bible's got some good things in it, great theology. But the Bible is not a book of science. We really need to overlay what we have learned to be true from science. 
trying to integrate the conflicting explanations of the universe's origins with what the Bible clearly teaches. Listen, Satan often attacks the Bible by questioning its sufficiency. Listen, the Bible's helpful, he says, so far as it goes, but it's not enough. You need to add psychology or ongoing revelation or science or something else. You fill in the blank. This is a tactic of Satan. The Bible is enough. You have been given, according to Peter, you've been given all things pertaining to life and godliness. How? Through the Scripture and through the Spirit. You don't need anything else. There's a third way Satan attacks the Bible, and that's by perverting the meaning of Scripture. He not only attacks the truthfulness of Scripture and the sufficiency of Scripture, but he attacks the meaning of Scripture as well. He perverts it. You know what's amazing? Satan had the hubris, the unbridled arrogance, to try this approach on none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, in the second temptation that's recorded of the three representative temptations during that 40 days, in the second one, verse 5, the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, the highest point overlooking the Kidron Valley. And he said to him, if you are the Son of God, or perhaps more literally translated, since you are the Son of God, we'll assume that's true, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now, do you notice in the New American Standard that those verses 6, or all of verse 6, the largest portion of it is in caps? That's because it's a quotation from the Old Testament. The devil is quoting a couple of verses from Psalm 91 to Jesus. Now, this shows just how crafty Satan is. Because when Jesus responded to the first temptation in verses 3 and 4, he quoted Scripture and he cited his trust in God for God to care for him. Satan turns right around in the second temptation and uses both of those against Jesus. He says, okay, you want to use Scripture? Okay, you trust God to care for you? Then let me tell you, the Scripture says, go ahead and jump. Satan's trying to say, listen, if you're the real Messiah, then the smallest injury is impossible for you. The angels will not allow you to even stub one of your exposed toes in your sandal. But what I want you to see here is the devil used Scripture as the source of temptation. Only he misinterpreted it, he misapplied it. Satan not only does this directly and personally with Jesus Christ, but this continues to be his approach through his demons and through the human pawns they use. Look at 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter talks about Paul's letters in verse 15. 2 Peter 3. He says, Our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things I've just been describing, in which are some things, in Paul's letters, are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort as they do also the rest of the Scriptures to their own destruction. And not just to their destruction, but notice verse 17, 
You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of undisciplined men, or unprincipled men, rather, and fall from your own steadfastness. Peter's saying, listen, there is a real danger. Satan is using, as he did with Jesus, the Scripture through unprincipled men to deceive you. Satan took this approach with Christ, and he'll do the same with us. He quotes the Scripture. Listen, if you doubt this, turn on any religious television program that you get on your television. While there might be a couple here and there that are speaking the truth, they'll be like, as one old preacher said, like fragrant uh, gardenias in a trash heap. Most of them that you will find will be taking some Scripture quoting it, pulling it out of its context, even as Satan did to Christ, and making it say what they want it to say. Listen, that is the devil. Just because somebody is standing there quoting Scripture, don't you for a moment imagine they have a right relationship to God. The devil quotes Scripture. I don't know if it's happened to you. It's happened to me. He's encouraged me to twist Scripture to do what I want to do. That's what he did with Christ. He does it to all of us. He twists it. He distorts it. He misquotes it. He misapplies it. He takes it out of its context. He mixes just enough truth with error to make it appear plausible. So 50,000 people sit in some great arena and hear somebody talk about their best life now. He convinces people to use the Scripture to their own advantage. On many occasions, I have heard hurting spouses twist and distort passages that provide legitimate biblical grounds for divorce in an effort to justify their own unbiblical decision to divorce. Or, I've heard people use the Scripture to point out the sin in other people's lives as they ignore the great sin in their own life. Satan loves to use the Scripture, and he does it all the time. Satan attacks the Word of God by perverting the meaning of Scripture. Another way that Satan attacks the Word of God, a fourth way, is by promoting our disobedience to the Scripture. By promoting our disobedience. Look back in Revelation chapter 2. As the Apostle John writes to one of the seven churches there in Asia Minor, this would have been a church very close to Ephesus in Thyatira, Notice what he writes down in verse 18. Revelation 2. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire. In other words, Jesus has eyes like a laser that penetrate and see into the hearts. His feet are like burnished bronze. This is what he says. I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. But... I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. Here was a woman in the church who called herself a prophet, prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Here is a woman in the church who is somehow using Scripture to lead people to disobey the Scripture. And where did this come from? 
Verse 24, I say that to, to you, the rest of you who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no other burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. In other words, there was a relationship between what this woman taught and Satan. Because Satan uses people, evil people like this woman in the church in Thyatira, to cause people to disobey the Scripture. As one writer said, what you have in this passage is demons trying to convince professing Christians that what the Bible forbids is in fact acceptable. It's okay. You can do it. It's a form of antinomianism. Satan would like nothing better than for Christians to embrace antinomianism. You say, what is that? Anti means against. Namas is the word for law, against the law. Antinomianism describes the teaching that because believers are under grace, because they've been forgiven, they can sin all they want with impunity. It's okay. Ultimately, grace will cover it all. It's the theological position that Paul attacks in Romans 6 when he says, shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? God forbid. May it never be. A person who embraces this perspective could enjoy the twisted version of the old hymn, saved from the law, oh happy condition, sin all I want with easy remission. Satan is behind encouraging disobedience to the Scripture. We excuse our sin, and He helps us do it. We find a way to pervert and twist the Scripture so that we can somehow justify our sinful choices. Puritan Thomas Taylor defined what our attitude should be. He said, the liberty of a Christian man is not liberty from obedience to the law, but liberty from disobedience to it. We've been set free from disobedience, not from obedience. These are Satan's master strategies as he attacks the Word of God. Let me ask you, have you allowed Satan to successfully attack the Word of God in your mind? Remember, where's the battle between God and man? Or between God and Satan, rather? In the mind of man. It's right there between your ears. Have you allowed Satan to successfully attack the Word of God in your mind? Have you allowed Him to cause you to deny or question the truthfulness of Scripture? Have you listened to some author, read some book, heard some television preacher, gone to some seminary or Christian college where the truthfulness of Scripture has been questioned or denied, and have you bought into it? Are you allowing Him to lead you to question the sufficiency of Scripture? Do you think something else needs to be brought alongside? Something else needs to be added? Scripture's great, but you know, it's just not quite enough. We need to add psychology. We need to add science. We need to add whatever. Have you allowed Satan to get you to listen to his perversion and misquotation of the meaning of Scripture? Taking it out of its context and wrenching it to say whatever it is you want it to say. Have you allowed Him to encourage your disobedience to the Scripture? You've somehow justified your disobedience, maybe even using the Scripture, as was going on in Thyatira, to do what you want to do. Listen, that is Satan himself. Be warned, he is trying to destroy your soul. 
He wants to undermine your faith and sabotage your spiritual life. You and I can't stand alone against the attack Satan brings against the Word of God. We can only stand by being strong with the strength of someone else, with the strength of Jesus Christ. How do we get His strength? We put on the armor that's described in this passage. And as we work our way through it, we'll learn how to stand in His strength. But understand the tactics. Understand the strategies. Satan's master strategy is to attack the Word of God. And he'll do it in any way he can. Don't believe it. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed. And that was part eight of his current series titled, Learning to Use God's Armor. Join us next time for part nine, as Tom once again takes us to God's Word. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional radio series from The Word Unleashed. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.